here with you this morning. If you've got your Bible there, it'd be great if you could open it to 2 Samuel 7, please. We're going to dive straight in this morning. Uh, But uh, if you're new to Salt Church, one thing that we normally do before we start, before we come to hear God's Word, is to take a moment just to be silent before God, to bring our thoughts to Him, to bring the distractions and the things that are going on for us. It's a big day here at church, so we want to just take a moment to be still before our God and King to have him speak to us. So let's take a moment to be silent and then I'll lead us in prayer and we'll dive straight into 2 Samuel 7. Father, we want to thank you that we can be here together this morning and we want to thank you for your goodness to us in your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray now that as we come together to hear you speak, that you would do just that, that we would hear you speak to us about what it means to be your people, what it means to be part of the story that you're telling, our place in it. And what it means to be your church. We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you'd be with us, that you'd uh, help me to speak in a way that's faithful and clear. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the house across the road from our place is up for sale again. Since we moved in four years ago, this is now the second time that the house is being sold, but we are not taking that personally. The two-storey, five-bedroom, three-bathroom, two-car garage was only sold two years ago, but now it's being sold again. Initially, the elderly couple who lived in it moved out into an aged care facility. The place had become just too big for them to manage, and their children had grown up and moved away. Now those same children were selling their family home because it was too difficult for their parents to maintain. Being the sticky-beak neighbours that we were, we went along to the open home just had to go across the road, and looked around to see what it was like. And it looked like it had become too much for the elderly couple that was there. There was plumbing issues throughout the whole house. The bathroom needed replacing. Bathrooms needed replacing. So too did the kitchen. There were holes in the walls, held together only by the paint that was now flaking off them. The flooring needed replacing. The stairs needed work. The yard needed some desperate attention. Still, two years ago, the house across the road from our place sold for a hefty $1.1 million. It was bought and sold pretty quickly, and while it took us a while to meet our new neighbours, it wasn't long until the house across the road was under reconstruction. And because I work from home, I heard everything. There were tradies and machinery across the road every day for the best part of seven months. Finally, when all the work had finished, when all the noise had finally stopped, we were invited to come over and check out the renovations. And being the sticky beak neighbours that we were, we went over to check it out. Inside and out, the house, the entire house, had been completely transformed. There's a new everything. A new kitchen, new bathrooms, new fence, new landscaping, new roof, and now with an added swimming pool. And now it's up for sale again. Only this time the asking price has doubled only accepting offers of $2.2 million. Not a bad return on your initial investment, is it? This morning we're continuing our Bible Talk series called The Bible in 10 Easy Lessons, a 10-week series on the story of the whole Bible because the whole Bible is telling us one story. Here's where we got up to in the story. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us rulers of the world under him. God is maker. God is king. From the very beginning of this story, God's people are in God's place under God's rule. But instead of listening to the voice of the Creator, 
Instead of believing God's word and his promises to us, humanity exchanged God's promises and blessings for the cheap lies of the deceiver. And although we were made in God's image, the serpent promised that we'd become like God. All that was very good went pear-shaped when we ate of the tree that we were told not to eat from. Friends, we bought a lemon and our relationship with God and others and creation soured me. God evicted us out of Eden. He kicked us out of paradise. And last week, God promised to start again. To the most unlikely of nomads named Abram, God promises to bring his people back home. God made some very promising promises to Abram in Genesis 12, verse 1. The words on the screen here behind me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your, peop- and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To an old man with no fixed address, God promises Abraham the land of Canaan. It's a place to call home. God promises children to Abram, countless offspring. He will be the father of many nations. God promises to bless Abram. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Which is where we get included in this story, friends, because it's through Abraham and the promises to him that we are now blessed. But now after an extraction from slavery in Egypt, we get to pass over the Passover. We miss Mount Sinai. We detour the desert for 40 years and we skip a few hard-fought battles and arrive in 2 Samuel 7. Now God's children, the promised children of Abraham, are living in the land that God promised to them. God has kept his promises to Abraham. A descendant of Abraham now rules over the people of God. David is king over Israel, God's people, and God's restoration project is almost complete. Friends, we now stand on the verge of Eden again in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Can you see that with me? Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, this is Israel's golden age. Things haven't been this good for God's people since God said that things were very good. The children of the promises of God are now living in the land that God promised them. Jerusalem is David's city. God has kept his promises to Abraham. God's given his people rest from all of their enemies. God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's kind of how things were back in Eden. And things don't get much better than this. David is so thankful for all of God's blessings to him that he wants to build God a house. So thankful for all that God has done. He wants to build God a house. See that with me, won't you? Verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Across the road from his place, David is now living in luxury. He lives inside his royal palace. Under God's blessing, David's living the blessed life. Under David's reign, Israel is also so richly blessed. 
And the king's palace, David's house, has all the mod cons of 700 BC. There's a Tesla parked in the garage. There's robotic everything operated off an app. The whole neighbourhood looks exceptionally expensive. It's become a highly sought-after suburb, all except for this one place now. One place that seriously needs some redevelopment. One house that looks unsightly and needs flipping. David's living in domesticated luxury while God lives in a weather-beaten canvas tent. And so God's rich neighbour wants to help God out. David's offering to build God a new house. Though the council initially liked the idea, Nathan, David's development application is ultimately rejected because God's got some building plans of his own. The original developer has blueprints. God's not going to build... David, David's not going to build God a house. God is going to build a house for David. You see, friends, there's a play on the word here in the Hebrew word for house, buy it. That's the Hebrew word for house, buy it. As in, if you see a house, you should buy it. That's how I passed Hebrew. David wants to build God a house. But God wants to build David a dynasty. But before we take a sticky beak at God's construction plans for his dwelling place, God wants David to know that he does not need a house to live in. People don't build houses for God. Look there, verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I've bought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And friends, God is not restricted to one location. God's not asking anyone to build him anything. God doesn't need a house to be rebuilt for him. God's not looking for a new dwelling place. It was part of his original plan from the very beginning. David's been living in domesticated luxury. So David's not building God a house. God is building a house for David. David wants God to have a new place of his own. But God's putting David now back in his place. Because people don't build houses for God. God builds a house for his people. God is putting David back in his place. Look there, verse 8. Now therefore, thus you say, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all of your enemies from before you. The one who created a place for David is God. God has made David who he is today. God took David from the sheep paddock and put him up in his very own Jerusalem Hilton. God took David from watching over his sheep to now shepherding over God's people. God is the one who has gone with David and God has given David rest from all of his enemies. God has blessed David and God's made David's name great. 
God was with David when he fought against the lion and the bear. And he was with David when he fought against Goliath. It's God who's done all of these things for David. God's done all of this, not David. Don't you see? God's done all of these things. God built and made and blessed David as king. David hasn't done anything for himself. It's just like Abraham, who also did nothing. David's not building God's house. David's not building God anything. God is going to build David's household instead. Look there at verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up, for your, raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See it there? I will raise up offspring after you. I will establish his kingdom forever. Do those promises sound familiar? God said the same thing to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make, make you, of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's all there, isn't it? Land, blessing, children... Here in the land of Canaan, Jerusalem, the city of David, the people are now living in the promised land. God's promising David his very own son, his very own flesh and blood, a descendant of David, a son who will reign as king over Israel forever. Under him, all of God's people will be blessed. God promises David. His promises sound just like the ones made to Abram. And they sound just like the ones that were made to Adam. Promises from the very beginning of the story. Promises that God made back in Eden. Adam, remember, was made to rule over God's kingdom. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There it is again, land, offspring, blessing. And now God promises to bring his people back home. Can you see the repeated pattern? The whole Bible is telling us one story. A story about a faithful God who persists in keeping his promises to a persistently unfaithful people. God will dwell with his people. He will be with us and, we, and he will be our God. The story of the whole Bible is repeated as well as it's now being progressed. And God's promises to David now take on a major new development for us. See that there in 2 Samuel 7 verse 14. Joel, could you grab the tissues for me, mate, please? 2 Samuel 7 verse 14. I will be with him, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever.
God is promising adoption here. The son of David will become the son of God. David's son is God's son. The promised son of God will be king forever. It even says forever twice. Can you see it there in verse 16? Forever. If David's son does wrong, God will punish him. But, God's not, but it's not going to be like it was with Saul. The son of David will never be stripped of the kingdom. God's love will never be taken away from him. His kingdom and his reign will endure forever. Abraham was promised land, but he never possessed it, friends. Moses saw the land, but he never entered it. And David won't build God's house in Jerusalem. But the son promised to David will. The promised son of David will build God's dwelling place amongst his people. So the most obvious question for us becomes, well, which son of David will do it? Which son of David builds God's temple in the promised land? Which son of David establishes God's kingdom and dwells with his people forever? Which son of David will be king forever over the people of God? Which son of David will be the promised son of God? Well, all early indications are pointing squarely at Solomon. Solomon is the son of David. Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon seems to fulfill not only God's promises to David, but also the ones to Abraham and Adam. Solomon's temple is God's dwelling place. God dwells as he promised with his people in the land. And if you think we were close to Eden with David, Solomon moves us even closer to home again. But then, like it did with Adam and Eden, Adam and in Eden, things with Solomon go terribly wrong. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, Solomon saw, took and ate of the idols that were on offer to him. His heart turned away from the Lord God. Solomon is not the promised son of David that we're looking for. Solomon won't be king forever. And honestly, friends, given Solomon's behaviour, you don't want him to be either. So now the kingdom gets divided up, but it's never taken away from the son of David. King after king after king from the line of David rebel and ignore the word of God. The pattern of Eden, friends, is on rinse and repeat. All these sons of David do evil in the eyes of the Lord. All that appeared to be so promising is now broken all over again. God's people are exchanging God's promises to be the determiners of their own good and evil again. In the promised land of Canaan, God's people are now in exile in Babylon. Even God abandons his people this time. The temple built to Solomon is destroyed by the Babylonians. Israel are slaves, in e are slaves again, not in Egypt, but this time in Babylon. The people are in a land of their own, in a land not their own, under a king not their own. It is the reverse of all that God promised in, in creation. God's people in God's place under God's rule has been reversed. They are cut off from God, cut off from the tree of life. We're now a long way from God's promises thanks to Solomon. God's dwelling with his people. The Jerusalem temple is rebuilt by Nehemiah, but then it's renovated by King Herod. And it was here in this reconstructed, rebuilt, repurposed temple that Jesus now speaks to the people of God. 
Hear what Jesus asked them in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. The words are here behind me. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? asked Jesus. Friends, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the promised son of David. And it's not too hard to find a verse in the New Testament that says Jesus is David's son. And here in the reconstructed temple, living as captives in the land, he promised them. Jesus isn't simply claiming just to be the son of David. He's claiming to be the son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the promised king of God's people. Even King David, see it there, calls him Lord. Jesus gives his people rest from their enemies, sin and death defeated in, the death on the, in his death on the cross. Jesus' death defeats our enemies. His death undoes all the destruction of Eden. All that separates us from being God's people has been put to rest in Jesus. You see, it's not us that builds things for God. It's God who now builds his home amongst us. And friends, that's what the church is. It's not a building. It's a people that God now chooses to live with. God keeps his promises. And God builds his home now amongst us. But even with the very best of intentions in, in wanting to do things out of thankfulness to God, full of zeal and passion and even missional enthusiasm, it's easy for us to forget our place within this story. Like David, we want to build something that lasts forever, something grand and glorious and great. And like David, we want to construct something that we think would be fitting and elaborate for God and his glory, but that is not our job. It's never been our job. Lots of churches think this way, building bigger buildings and better buildings for bigger congregations and better events. We think that it's our job to build things for God. Somehow we seem to think that it's all up to us. But it's not our job to build the church. Jesus builds his church to last forever. That's his job. Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our job isn't to build the church for Jesus. Our job is to be the church that Jesus is now building. A place where God dwells by his spirit. Not to build buildings, but to be the church that God is now building. A people who trust that God's promises are true and that he will bring us home as he promised. Promises that not even hell itself will prevail against. Will you pray with me?